It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Subscribe to the Astros Podcast. Joined by Justin Verlander getting the ball on opening day. Steve Sparks here, and I'm with Lance McCullers. Tons of interviews. Robert Ford joined by Michael Brantley. Alex Bregman. Carlos Correa returning to the lineup today. Highlights. That is lined in the right field, and that's going to get down for a base hit. High deep, and it's gone. A grand slam. Follow your favorite team. Subscribe to the Astros podcast. We definitely love playing in front of our fans in Minute Maid Park. For the H. They never said it would be easy. This is the Houston Astros Radio Network. Back to Astropod, the official podcast of the Houston Astros. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Astropod. This is Todd Callis, joined by Steve Sparks. We have a very special guest for you today, the all-time saves leader in Houston Astros history. And that is none other than the flamethrowing left-hander Billy Wagner. Many feel, including myself, he should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, but first, we welcome in Steve Sparks. Sparky, how you doing today? Great, TK. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm hoping to find out some good news regarding the 2020 season sooner than later. It feels like something has right. to happen, good, bad, or indifferent, in the next week or so. Well, I, I think that, you know, first and foremost, everybody's talking about uh, the protocol to keep everybody as safe as possible. And I think that's the, the way it should be. And, you know, once they get those things ironed out, I think they're, uh, we're probably going to be on the cusp of, of getting something started. So I'm excited about that, too. Yeah, we could use some good news. It certainly has been a struggle in this pandemic for a lot of reasons, and especially because we have lost some legends in Astros history. Uh, earlier on a podcast, we discussed Jimmy Wynn and just... Uh, last Thursday night, we find out about the passing of Bob Watson, who not only uh, was a legend in an Astros uniform, but uh, beyond his playing career, he was a, an executive, a leader. He was a, a pioneer as the first uh, African-American general manager. What do you uh, remember? What are your thoughts about Bob Watson? Well, uh, him coming on Astroline a couple of years ago and getting to know him a little bit better, uh, couldn't have been more impressed with how humble and generous and just sweet of a man he was to, to interact with the Astros fans at Pluckers with, uh, was really impressive. Um, you know, and the other thing, and I know a lot of people have talked about, you know, him being the general manager of the Astros and the Yankees and a 19 year career as a player and, and all those things. But what he did with bat, you know, the charity, the baseball assistance, uh, team, what he did with that, uh, uh as far as, uh, assisting players, uh, in the baseball family, uh, some short-term problems. Uh, over $40 million he was responsible for uh, as an executive trying to help out those folks. And, you know, that's going to be his legacy is, is how many people he impacted uh, their lives. So our thoughts, of course, go to his wife, Carol, his daughter, Kelly, and his son, Keith. But Bob Watson's going to be missed greatly in Houston. Yeah, I think that's great that you brought up the stuff about bat, the ba baseball systems team. It really helps out a lot of former players. If people uh, in the general public probably don't know much about that nonprofit organization. Uh, 
But the fact that in 2017, when he was honored with that Lifetime Achievement Award, the fact that the commissioner was here, Rob Manfred, Joe Torrey was here in Houston, uh, it was really a great moment. And it was kind of a a great moment to celebrate the life of Bob Watson, too, because he did so many great things. He'll always be the guy that scored the one millionth run in Major League Baseball history. Uh, That's a great story. Other. It is. Why don't you tell the fans who might not know about it? Well, I mean, there was a lot of buildup uh, coming up to who was going to score the millionth run in baseball. And uh, uh, they knew that they were getting close that morning uh, of the game. I think the Astros were – I think they were playing at Candlestick Park. And I think Watson yep. uh, had hit uh, – I think was scoring from second base. And Dave Concepcion uh, was somewhere else, uh, the shortstop with the Cincinnati Reds. And it was a race, basically, as the players in the bullpen were urging Watson to – to to race home as quickly as he could because they knew it was going to be uh, nip and tuck on whether or not it was going to be him or Concepcion. Concepcion was sprinting on his home run trot, uh, but uh, Watson nipped him. And not only did he score the one millionth run, but Tootsie Roll gave him a million Tootsie Rolls. <laughs> that he would later donate to the Boys and Girls Club of America so that his yeah. kids did not end up uh, having candy for the rest of their life. <laughs> but yeah. What a weird scene. So he's in San Fran at Candlestick Park, a visiting player on base. Milt May hits a home run, and he is, instead of jogging home like most everybody else would do after a home run is hit, he is sprinting to be the guy that scores the one millionth run. It's a good thing. So funny. Yeah, really good. And, uh, you know, Bob was a guy who signed as a free agent in 65, made his big league debut at age 20 in 66. Uh, all-star with the Astros in 73, 75. He's another guy similar uh, to the toy cannon who we lost earlier this season that uh, his numbers were very, very good when you look back, but how much better could they have been without playing all those home games at the Astrodome? Yeah, that's true. And you know, another thing, and we talk about him being the general manager of the Astros and Yankees. Uh, he had a pretty good hire in New York, didn't he? Oh my He's God. He hired Joe Torrey and what a run the Yankees went on a, uh, uh, underneath the, the helm of, of Joe Torrey. So uh, very astute. Uh, I, Roy Oswalt posted something uh, to the fact that Bob Watson came and watched him in double-A one time. And he saw him one time, saw Roy pitch one time and said, hey, uh, I, I'm really looking forward to uh, you pitching for uh, Team USA in the Olympics in 2000. I think you're going to bring us the gold. And he was right. He said they got it done. And Bob Watson noticed for the very first time he saw Roy as a minor leaguer that uh, he might be his linchpin, and he was right. I, I, that's so cool, that story. And I like the fact that you brought up the Joe Torre hiring because a lot of people think, oh, you know, Joe Torre, legendary Yankees manager. Uh, at the time, it was a very controversial hire. Joe didn't have a lot of success in his previous stint with the Braves. That's right. And in New York, if you come from another franchise where you haven't had a lot of success, people are like, well, what is going on here? So, <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't popular at the time. But uh, I think Watson, even as a player, played for, for Torrey when he was with the mm -hmm. Braves toward the end of his career, so knew a little bit about him. You know, and they were very similar hitters, actually. I mean, both right-handed power hitters that had similar styles. But uh, they hit it off, and, uh, it, you know, Watson knew – uh, talent when he saw it, and uh, he was a great baseball man and a, and a great person. Well, the Astros had already announced previous to this that Bob Watson was part of their 2020 Astros Hall of Fame class, and he's going to be honored along with Lance Berkman, Cesar Cedeno, uh, Judge Roy Hoffines, Roy Oswald, who you talked about earlier, and our guest 
uh, that we're going to talk with in just a little while, Billy Wagner. Before we get to Wags, um, also some news with Art Howe, uh, one of our good friends and a guy who uh, is battling through this coronavirus pandemic and actually uh, was hospitalized recently. And I, I had texted with him the day before he got hospitalized, and he said, I wouldn't wish this on, on my worst enemy. He said there was, it was a lot of pain involved, a lot of fatigue. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of glad he got a chance to get to the hospital because he was having a hard time eating. So the, the IVs hopefully have given him nourishment. And that's it. We're just we're, we're, we're praying along with Betty and, and the rest of his family that, uh, uh, that Art Howe, one of the nicest men we've all ever met, uh, has a speedy recovery to full health. Yeah, and I think the outpouring of love uh, and support from around the major leagues is certainly going a long way to help out. So we are, uh, well, I don't even know what week we're in, probably week eight or nine of this pandemic, and yep. uh, the owners and the players are talking. Uh, hopefully, we're going to have some news soon. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? Obviously, you can't play a full schedule because you've got uh, half of the calendar year left remaining by the time this thing starts, it appears. You know, just whatever they come up with, you know, uh, for me is whatever protocol is in place to, to keep people uh, or players and, and coaches and staff and, and whoever's at the ballpark as safe as possible. I know there's going to be uh, very frequent testing, uh, you know, as you come into the ballpark, you know, they're going to check temperatures. And the other thing I like, because they, they've kind of adapted this, I think, from the Korean baseball organization, is, you know, they're going to eliminate a few things like handshakes, high fives, and uh, the ever popular spitting. So maybe Sunflower Seeds are out <laughs> in the dugout. So the, the Bat Boys after the game are going to be pretty happy and not having to clean up all those Sunflower Seeds on the dugout floor. Hey, maybe they'll also adapt the egregious bat flips from Korea. <laughs> You know what? Uh, one can only hope. <laughs> although I'm sure the one guy who wouldn't have loved that, although he didn't give up many home runs in his career, is our oh, next gosh. guest. It's it's time to welcome in uh, one of the legends in Astros history, the all-time leader in saves, Billy Wagner. First of all, uh, thanks for joining us on the show here, all-time saves leader in Astros history. We saw you last year throughout the first pitch before a playoff game. Tell us about how you are personally and your family is dealing with uh, with this very strange time in the world right now with this coronavirus pandemic? Well, I guess we're, we're handling about the same as everyone else. Uh, a lot of home projects. Uh, you know, we're very fortunate. We live out on a farm. So unfortunate for the kids, they get to learn what that's all about. But for me, uh, a lot of honeydew projects with building fences, sheds, gardens, you name it, whatever she decides. So uh, we we stay pretty busy. I know everybody's just biting at the bit to uh, get back out and play some baseball. And by she, you're talking about your wife, Sarah. You met her in college, and you've got four kids now. Tell us about the ages of your boys and your daughter. Well, my oldest son is, is Will. He uh, he's twenty, getting ready to turn twenty-two. He's going back into he's going back to Liberty. Uh, you know, uh, I think he's. We were all hoping that the draft was going to be a uh, a normal draft, and uh, I believe he yeah. was probably going to be selected. So now it being shortened, I think we've just planned to go back to uh, college. So he's second baseman. He uh, and then uh, my middle son Jeremy is 19. Going, he'll be a freshman at uh, Austin Peay State University down in Clarksville, Tennessee. So he's an outfielder. Mm -hmm. And so uh, and then the athlete of the family is my daughter, who's 16, be 17 on going on 30. Uh, <laughs> and she she's the basketball player who. Uh, comes from the mama's side of course so oh yeah she hasn't committed yet but um, 
pretty excited. She's got a couple interests, so we're excited for her. And then, um, of course, my little man, 13 Case, and he's he's wide open. He's you know tagging along, trying to figure out what he's what he's going to do. He uh, he actually comes to I'm coaching at the Miller School, so he he'll actually come and play for me for the first time uh, next year. So that should be interesting in itself. So we're not super outgoing, so we just kind of stay at home. So and I have a batting cage and a gym and you know, swimming pool and a basketball court. And pretty much the only thing that they really worry about is food. So we're pretty, we're pretty sound. (laughs) Well, Billy, are they, and the reason I ask this is Astros fans probably know, but maybe uh, people that didn't follow your career don't realize naturally you were right-handed until you broke your arm a couple of times and learned how to throw a lefty and the rest is history. Are all your kids righties or do you have some lefties in the mix? No, they're all right-handed. Well, it's funny. They're all my youngest is uh, does the same thing. Infielder plays pitches. He's right-hander, bats left-handed. But my daughter is um, she plays basketball, but she's pretty ambidextrous. So uh, she's a righty, but she plays really well with her left hand. So you know, uh, we're hoping that might have rubbed off. But uh, no, there's there's no lefties in the family. One of my favorite parts about the story, and I think you've probably told that story so many times that you're sick of it. But when you did break your arm a couple of times when you were six or seven years old, my favorite part about the story, Billy, is that you were playing hack football because you guys couldn't afford a football. Oh, no, we didn't. I mean, I'll be honest, we didn't have have nothing. So, well, hack football is what you do when you don't have no money to buy a real football. (laughs) So, uh, really, that was, you know, that was our thing, just something to do. Kids, you know, throwing rocks, you know, all those things when you're young. My th- I wanted to be a football player. I, baseball was the first. I didn't even think about baseball. Football was, was my, my goal. My uncles played football. Uh, in, in our town, if you didn't play football, you were kind of, it. you know, nobody really paid any attention to baseball, even though Nolan Ryan made his uh, debut in my hometown, Marion, Virginia. So, no kidding. Yeah. You know, small fact, small but fun fact. Yeah. He was, uh, I, I still talk, when I talked to him, uh, he, he asked me about it, but you know, that's what we did. We played football and baseball in the summer and hunting fish and just kind of trying to figure out, you know, what we wanted to do. So you go to Ferrum, you're playing baseball and football, and you're, you're dominated uh, in baseball. But you, obviously, as you said, your family history, everybody in your town loves football. How difficult was it at that point uh, to focus in on baseball? As talented as you were in that sport, knowing your love for football was so strong. Well, I wasn't very talented. I was getting my butt kicked pretty pretty often when I was in college. I, I was I was I was defensive back uh and I, I made the team by getting run over and making tackles. That was pretty much how I, <laughs> I, I made the team. I think I had two concussions in one college season and a broken rib and, and I mean literally I was like, Oh my god but I mean, you know, foolhardy kid, I didn't know different. It was fun. But my college coach was smart enough to go, Hey, he came and watched me pitch and he had the uh, you know, smarter than I was and said, Hey, you know, I know you love football and whatever, but, uh, you know, I don't want you to come out. But if you do come out, he goes, you're not going to hit. I'm just going to run you and see that you're in the best shape for baseball. And so Coach Davis was one of the bright lights that kind of shone down and just gave me that path. And I guess it really the easy out so I could go, hey, you know, he didn't want me to play. He said I could play. But uh, <laughs> he, he really gave me that out to make me feel good about myself. And so, uh, and, and that, you know, that was really the first time I really kind of just said, hey, I'm going to be a baseball player and really focus in on pitching and, and competing. And that was that's how it all started. Well, you ended up being a first rounder with the with the Astros, but a couple of years before that, you had some guys on your team at Ferrum, which I'll be honest, I'd never heard of that college until you. 
But Eric Owens, who, who got drafted mm-hmm. pretty high with the Cincinnati Reds, partly responsible Rams, for scouts yep. seeing you, I would imagine. Absolutely, every bit of it. Uh, before that was a, a guy named Darren Hodge. We had uh, yeah. Daryl Irvine, who played for Boston, made it to the big leagues, uh, was it at Ferrum. And uh, so we had, you know, some history, but everybody was coming to see Eric because he'd been on the USA team. And then we had Michael Tucker in the area, so we played against him. So people were just, you know, I just I was in the right place at the right time. And uh, so people got to see me. But uh, And then uh, by them seeing my sophomore year, they sent me to the Cape. And I went out there and, and played. So uh, it was just, you know, <laughs> good. I mean – you know, Eric Owens was a big influence on how my career got really seen. Yeah, and then you you do so well at the Cape, and as uh, Sparky mentioned, you get drafted 12th overall in the first round of the '93 draft, and then you you're in the minor leagues. You're at Auburn, you're at Quad Cities. Uh, you got a, one game in there in '95, and then you go to Tucson and Jackson in in '95 as well. But '96 is where, where your first full season was. But you were exclusively a starter in the leagues didn't even come out of the bullpen once uh, until later in your career and then you come to the big leagues and you never start a game what kind of transition was that and who were the guys that really helped you with that transition early on in your career it's funny i mean dumb luck you, you don't know no better and i think the best thing was when you go in in your first big league game you you're ready to roll so you don't know no difference uh I really, I mean, when I started, there was no like, hey, there, there, I was not the Tom Glavin, Greg Maddox. Hey, uh, there was no real system to what I was doing. Jerry Goff was my catcher in AAA. And I mean, mm-hmm. they would say, okay, guy, Billy Wagner's got to throw 10% changeups. We'd throw 10 changeups in the first inning. Just to get them out. So of I that. could be done with it. Hey, we're done. Good. Okay, now let's go, let's go get this over with. And so uh, there was no, there was no, there was no finesse to me. It was, Guy takes a big swing. I'm going to try to throw it harder. And, and I mean, I learned how to pitch and get better with my craft by the, the reps of being the starter so that when I got to being closer, I had endurance and I could throw practically about four out of five days. So it was, I, I, I was blessed with that. And so going out there and, and being able to throw um, just was easy. But now having, now my breaking ball got better. Uh, my, my control got better and, and literally, as as my career got going, so did my all my all my pitches got better. All the uh, just command got better. Just uh, knowing what I was strong at. I mean, I wasn't one to go out there and go. You know what? I'm going to go out there and try to throw a little soft two seamer on the corner and then roll over. I, no, there was there was no finesse to the game, and you know. Uh, but uh, you know that, that the uh, starting made it easier for me to learn how to pitch and be ready for the big leagues. And looking back, I mean organizations want their best pitchers to start games so they'll get to pitch the most innings so they can develop those pitches. But don't you agree that uh, one of the worst things about starting is, is if you have a bad game, you got to think about it for four days, but relieving, man, you, you got oh. a chance to get in there every day. Oh, there's nothing better than relieving because you could have a bad day come back. I mean, you, you just, yeah. you, you could have that forgetful mind as a starter. It was hard because you had to suck on that three inning, eight <laughs> run, you know, you, you it was awful. I mean, Pitching coaches are not they they are they are tough. They were so tough when I was a starter. Uh, Brent Storm was my pitching coach, and I mean, I think my very first start in AAA, I went eight and two thirds, had this great game. You know, second game, you know, he goes, "Hey, listen, Mel Stallmeyer's coming, uh, Terry Collins is coming down. You know, you have a good game. They're probably gonna take you up with them." And I'm like, "All right." I just go out and just poo down my leg. Five <laughs> and so you know, here I am, 22, 23 years old, and he walks by and goes, hey, whew, 
If you're ready to screw that up, you didn't get what they do. Today's pitching coaches have to be touchy, touchy, feely, pat, pat, love, love, where, man, yeah. they just hammer you. You suck. Hey, what are you going to do about it? And I mean, I remember going out there having a game where I, I pitched halfway decent, but I, I think I, I was throwing like 91. And, you know, the pitching coach goes, geez, really? 91? Huh. Rick Eisman throws 91. You know, it was one of those things like that where, I, you know, was, then I had Kurt, uh, who did I have? Uh, McMurtry, Craig McMurtry. Donnie Wall, oh, yeah. they were there, and they, and they were just—I mean, they paint and spin it, man. There was no spinning it, flipping it, doing anything, and they would just kind of—they're going, oh, you ain't going to get away with that when you get—you can't—you can't throw that, man. I—I I was like, I'm playing every game by a game. I'm not even thinking about the big leagues. I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to pitch this game, and when this game's over, I'm going to wait my five days. I'm going to pitch again, and I'd never even thought about the big leagues. And then Terry Collins, you just mentioned, would end up being your first manager at the big league level. When I found out we were doing this podcast, I was actually at a dinner table with Larry Durker, your second major league manager. Yeah. And Dirk was telling me, uh, as the only he can, so many different stories. And the ones that stand out to me are, number one, he said, it was such a relaxing feeling knowing I had Wags there for the ninth inning. He goes, my bench coach, Bill Verdon, at one point looked at me and said, I think the closer might be the most important player on the roster. And, and Durker said, couldn't disagree with him because he felt that sure that the game was over when he came in. But he also told me, maybe, I don't know if you remember this, about a game in his first year of managing that he said he completely botched up and you saved his bacon. He said he was in, in Florida. He had a runner on base in a one-run game. Moises Alou was the batter. And he brought you in to face Alou, who would eventually be your teammate. You get Alou out, strike him out. And then Dirk looks at his lineup card and says, oh, my gosh, Wagner's hitting second in the top of the ninth inning. I didn't even realize I should have double switched. So he's ready to get lambasted after the game. He says, you hit a topper, and you start sprinting down the first baseline, and Dirk said he about had a heart attack because you were running so hard trying to beat out the swinging butt. And then he ended up saying everything was good because he ended up winning the game, and nobody asked him about messing up and not double-switching. I don't know if you remember that. Absolutely. It was awesome. And I can tell you, it was funny because, you know, yeah, I go out there and I sprint down, that's it. I sprint down the line. Well, for whatever reason, I mean, there's two outs. I just made the second out, and I am gassed, winded. I'm coming back. <laughs> for whatever reason, Jim Leland walks out to the mound. And I mean, he walks as slow as Jim could walk and goes out there and has a visit and visits the pitcher for no reason. I have no idea. And so I think the last time I talked to him, I said, we, we brought, brought out, I said, man, you know, remember this game? He said, yeah, he goes, I thought you were going to have a heart attack. So I just want to take time so you didn't die when you're out there. It was hilarious. <laughs> I was like, man, what's the chance? What's the chances that the visiting manager would, would uh, do that? So it was, it was pretty funny that, that that all worked out, but good players make good managers. And I mean, they, they help. I mean, you know, if a manager puts you in a situation, he, t- he believes that you can do it and, you know, a lot of respect. And I mean, I, that's what I appreciate about Dirk is, I mean, you know what? He wasn't your classic uh, manager and he might've been a little quirky, but i tell you one thing, you know, he trusted you and he, he, he wanted you to be successful and he gave you every opportunity. I, I, I'll tell you this day, I still think he made uh, Shane Reynolds and uh, Mike Hampton. You, they went out there and made a lot of money because he left them out there and taught them how to pitch and they pitched and they made yeah. it well. So, I mean, there, a lot of people had their their ifs. I mean, he was a pitcher's friend, but if but I tell you, he was. Uh, I love Dirk. He 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 made excuse, He made me a ton of money. And Billy, you know, baseball people know that the that closer, like Durker was talking about, might be the most important man on on the roster. But the new school way of thinking kind of discredits the the closer. Don't you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, but it, it's always great. I love to hear. Uh, 
all the the analysts, all the newspaper guys, they all say the same thing that there, you know, there's no anybody can pitch tonight. Now I'm not going to dis. Yeah, anybody can, but can anybody do it for a long period of time? Because it is a high stress moment. Because when right. you play in the different types of markets, there's a lot. I've been in bullpens where my bullpen guys were way better than me, way better mm. stuff, way better. Just but when you go out there and hey, you're the last three outs and win lose, you know, there's no draw. It's no, there's no different. There's no gray area. It's black and white. And so closers today are awesome. I mean, watching that, their stuff's phenomenal. I mean, the game's still awesome to watch, but I mean, the relevance of the last three outers, you can't put it, you could, you can't put a price. tag. Well, and you know, I'm not going to say it's, you know, the the hardest thing in the world, but I will be, I will tell you that doing it every day, going out there, you can have. I remember having a, a streak. I think in New York where I had 31 consecutive uh, saves or something like that, and uh, blew the next two. And boy, you'd have thought they'd hey run him out. I mean, I, I watched Trevor Hoffman, who I admired, go out there and have have a, a tough game. And I and them trying to we need he's he's too old. Need to get rid of him. I mean, this guy's got 601 saves. I mean, you know the yeah. game. It's but I've also heard these analysts sit there and say that. And they complain, but then the first thing they'll say is, man, you know, the back end of that bullpen, that's going to be the key of the game. Well, mm-hmm. hey, the back end, you know, those are things. I mean, it's a catch-22. I, I think everybody uh, can complain about it when it's not working, but if you don't have it, they're complaining. So, you know, and when when a guy like Hoffman and, and, and these guys, uh, Mariano, go out and they do it so well and they make it look easy – they're like, well, anybody can do this. Yeah, well, no. That, that's why there's only a certain amount that's got the numbers that people have and have done so well. Well, not just because you're on with us here on our Astros podcast, but because I've always felt this way, that the Hall of Fame has undervalued closers. And for me, yeah. um, it, the fact that Lee Smith took it to the Veterans Committee to get in, that, I mean, that was one of the baddest men ever to walk out of a bullpen. And, and the fact that it took him that long to get in. And the fact that you're still not in right now, I know there, there's only so much you – you can do about that. Your numbers are what they are. The best all-time batting average against the best all-time strikeouts yep. per nine. Do you feel like it's taken a, a while and, and still is part of the process that uh, I know recently you mentioned Hoffman and of course Mariano was a slam dunk with 100%, but do you feel like relievers are finally starting to get some of that recognition and, the, and do you see that uh, maybe turning hopefully sooner than later? I don't know. I think, uh, I, I think my numbers aren't the issue. The reason I'm in the not in the Hall of Fame is not because of my numbers. I mean, I know that Tim Kirchin and a lot of these uh, older guys say that, you know, it's because I don't have 96 innings. And they don't want to put anybody in there that doesn't have at least 1,000 innings. So, I, I mean, the numbers uh, themselves are are not the problem. It's just, you know, there there is a million ways we can, we can use the, the new terminology and talk about the war and the we can break them down and we can build them up and we can make them look good and we can make them look bad. And, uh, you know, it's a situation to me that it, it's a personal opinion. Let's be honest, Barry Bonds and <laughs> Clemens, are, are we really going to sit here? I mean, even if we speculate that these guys did that, there's people that already been put in that have, that have, have done it. We know it. Yeah. There's no getting around it. Well, I mean, and they, they want to play this game. And so until, until really these, these people get off the high the high horse and just say, "Hey, you know what? Let, let's put the best in. If you don't think I'm the best, I'm fine with it. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't even expect to get into the Hall of Fame and stuff. And I think really? the first first three or four years, I was a little 
you know, I was a little probably embarrassed. I wasn't mad. I was embarrassed because I thought that I would probably have a better showing. But now, now you know, after seeing how things are and how how really life, you know, I mean, life's not going to change for me if I'm a Hall of Fame. For, if I'm not, I'm still going to coach high school and follow my kids around and work on a farm. I mean, my life's not going to change. And, and, and you know, uh, so, you know, to have uh, – I just, you know, being on it, I appreciate it. I think it's a great honor. I think it's uh, tremendous, uh, you know, to be able to sit there and, and and be mentioned with the Hall of Fame opportunity. You know, I think about the guys that I played with that are on there and that made it. I think about my idols who are in the Hall of Fame, and I'm fine with that. I, I, I totally, you know what, that I'm, you know, I I think the greatest thing that ever happened to me was getting to play in, in Houston and be around Nolan Ryan. I mean – all day long. I, I think those are the, I don't need to be put on in that way to feel that I'm justified. If that happens, I'm going to be overly excited. I'm going to be overwhelmed. I'm probably going to cry when I'm giving a speech or something, but if that doesn't happen, I'll just continue to practice my speech in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> Billy, I mean, I, I know the purpose of the hall of fame is to remember the best players of each generation. And it's not really to compare players to those who played 50 or 60 years ago because it's a different game. But I think everybody would agree in the last 20, 30 years, when you look at Billy Wagner and you think of Billy Wagner, you're thinking about one of the elite closers that, that we ever saw. So we know that you're a Hall of Famer. So I, I just wanted to put that out there. And one of my favorite no, things that. is how, Thank you. how you went out, you know, in 2010 with the Braves with a, a sub one and a half ERA and 37 saves and, you stuck to your word. It, it was May when you said you were going to retire after the season and uh, you wanted to be with your family. And that's exactly what you did. Was that very tough when it came down to it? Not one bit. I, you know, it's funny. I, I've had that question asked quite a bit, but I, when I walked away, I had no desire to go back. I had no desire yeah. to go back. I, now, granted, it was probably, I may have if, if I wasn't so much around baseball anyway, but I mean, I coached my kids. I mean, I've thrown BP and I, you know, um, I, I've, I've gotten my feel of baseball and I love and I and and continue to be around it has fueled my love for it but and but uh you know I I feel like part of my calling to be you know be a a, a spotlight for my Christianity and, and stuff is to be able to be around people and and, and to motivate yeah. and inspire them and show them show them that things are possible because now kids they think you've got to be 6'4" and you got to be throwing 105 where now you, you, you know, you see me, you see Roy Oswald, you see some guys around, you go, Oh, well, that's possible. It's harder, but it's possible. So I think that, you know, those are things. And that's why I enjoy coaching kids and being around the, the game so much now. Well, I, I want to reiterate what Sparky said too. I, I feel like there's no doubt mm-hmm. that you're a hall of favor. Uh, it, you remind me a lot with you talking about not getting those 93 innings to a thousand. Like that's a magic number. Fred McGriff to me, the hall of famer too. A uh, guy you mm-hmm. face in the playoffs a lot. Just because he didn't get to 500 seems to be the reason why, you know, people aren't voting him in. But you are a member of the Astros Hall of Fame class. We know that. You'll be inducted or you've already been inducted. You'll have a ceremony, hopefully, at some point sooner than later, depending on what happens this year. But uh, what's that mean? <laughs> you mentioned Roy Oswald. Um, we just lost uh, the legend Bob Watson uh, on Thursday night as we as we take this show. Uh, Cesar Cedeno, the judge Roy Hoffman, to Lance Berkman, part of the class of 2020. Uh, what's it, what's it like going in with those legends in Astros history? You know, there's close ties to all of us. I mean, we all pretty much came through at the same time. I mean, Cesar, Cece was my, was my coach in, uh, 
Davenport, Iowa, when I was with the River Bandits, and uh, you know, mm. Bob was the you know, unfortunately, Bob was my uh, you know, I hate that he won't be there, but he was my uh, general manager when I first came up, so he made the call to get me up. So I mean, um, yeah, it's always an honor. I mean, we're we're talking about the the highest level ever is is it being recognized from from a team that you were drafted by, and uh, you know, them thinking of you in such a manner that you know they want to you know, put you on, on a plaque. So I, you know, I'm, you know, that, that's a blessing. You know, those are things that, you know, I honestly, you know, after leaving Houston, you know, uh, you know, I didn't know if those things would ever be something that would ever come back. Those are, you know, the reliever being, you, you bounce around and, and you create uh, different ties on different teams. And so, uh, you know, I'm just honored and blessed and fortunate to have had that opportunity to spend time and, you know, Lance and Roy and, CC, those guys, I mean, you know, they're all, you know, super over, uh, super guys and, you know, super de- deserving. And you talk about legacies. You're the head coach at the Miller School, the high school in Virginia, but the second chance learning center, really, that you guys established in 2005 with your college roommate, Eric Robinson. Tell us a little bit about that and how that's impacted uh, different people and how proud you are of that what it was and what it accomplished was great things for a lot. And it started more programs in that manner down in Southwest Virginia was, you know, being a uh, mentor, tutor, uh, and, and put mm-hmm. kids into college programs. Uh, and, and I think that the idea was, you know, you can't have workforces and you can't build, you know, strong communities. If you, if you don't have educated kids and if you letting kids get through the cracks, you, you keep, you know, diluting your, your workforce. And so no good company wants to come in there with insignificant workers. So uh, that was one of those things where, you know, we, we put that together and, and, you know, we put tons of kids through college and, uh, and it was great. It was great while we were able to do that and push through that. But uh, you know, and, and we still hear from the kids and, and they've went on and do to have super great jobs and, and make good living. So, you know, very fortunate that we were able to do that for as long as we could. Mark, you mentioned uh, being the head coach and a couple of state titles in 17 and 18. You were a guy that played in the postseason seven different years, uh, four of them with the Astros. What was it like uh, as a head coach of a state title team? Uh, what kind of rush was that for you? Well, I'll, I'll be honest, it was, it was fun because uh, we've won the last three state championships. So it was, it was, we, we've, <laughs> I've been very blessed with uh, some really good teams. So, I mean, like anything, you know, a good manager puts the, the right people out there and tries to put them in a good situation to be successful and good players make a, a manager look real, really good. So I, I wouldn't say there's a lot that I've done except allow the kids to play, but it's what I've enjoyed the most is understanding what managing is about and how to, to communicate what I know to the kids and, and learning and, and exploring and going to other people and learning that, uh, the craft of being a, a mentor, tutor, uh, you know, coach, that can go out there and um, help uh, help these young men through. I mean, high school uh, baseball and, and sports in general is is turned into be an absolute uh, agents talking. You, I've got agents talking to young really? men. I've got and you know, you know, it's but it's they they tra- and they're freshmen, sophomore. I mean, they're on these national travel teams, and so they think they're always trying to get themselves into that. And then kids think that if they haven't gotten committed to college by their sophomore year, then you know, they're not very good. And, and if they go play division three baseball, that they're not very good. I mean, there are so many. And so really I, I turn into a psychologist and I'm, you know, talking kids off the ledges a lot more than I should be because huh. they, they feel like, you know, 
you know, they should be playing D1, or if they're not D1, they're not good baseball players. And, and I told them that I wasn't very good because I went and played Division three. You know, so I think that the Lord gave me this blessing to be the coach because I went through so much growing up that a lot that I can I can understand a lot of these kids' issues and their thought process and what goes on with how we're you know how they're going through stuff. How many times do you have to to tell stories to those kids about how you grew up? Though I mean, you've talked about like you know it was poverty really. <laughs> I mean, you guys didn't have a whole well, lot compared to probably the kids that you coached. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I try not to. I, I try not yeah. to say anything. Um, you know, I think the, the the funnest thing is now, you know, the video games. The, the kids are, I think it's the MLB 2020. I mean, like, even my kids, they're playing, they're going, hey, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get your card, Dad. <laughs> it's just weird. You know, it's weird because, I mean, these kids don't, you know, they see his coach, but then all of a sudden they're looking at video games and goes, hey, that guy coaches me. Or yeah. they just, you know, a lot of these kids are now, they, they don't remember remember that but I, I mean the the best thing is just I've had a couple kids drafted from school is to be able to sit there and kind of talk them through the process of what to expect and I and, you know and I, I treat everyone the same and that that has been the biggest key is learning how to, to to coach everybody not not or treat them the same but coach them each person as an individual so that they can reach their individual uh productivity nine years with the Astros Billy Wagner our guest on Astropod your last year you were part of a six pitcher combined no hitter um it was at Yankee Stadium June 13th Roy Oswald left after a couple batters Pete Monroe Kirk Sarlos Brad Lidge Octavia Dotel and yourself now I've had Blummer is my broadcast partner on the telecast. We've had Jeff uh-huh. Bagwell up in the booth. Baggy comes in once a month and does uh, he's a third commentator in the booth. Both of those guys have varying degrees of recollecting that story, but they both talk about how half the team kind of wasn't even aware of the no-hitter. What are your thoughts and what are your recollections of that night? Well, I remember thinking they were all idiots. That's the first thing <laughs> I still And I tell Baggy and them that today. I mean, you're in New, you're in New York, and you don't know your your – I mean, it's not like we expect to go out there and sweep. The first game we're playing is we're up there, and all of a sudden we're winning eight to nothing. And it's not, it shouldn't be old hat. And you look up there, it's eight nothing. We haven't given up a, a, a hit. And now it was funny. I was doing a Zoom call with Brad Lidge yesterday, and we were talking about the, the whole thing and how people were kind of looking around. I remember Matsu hits the ball to Baggy, and he puts it to me. I step on the bag, and I'm holding my hands up. And I remember Jeff, Kent, and Baggy looking at me like a man. I'm going, you're an idiot. You guys are idiots. <laughs> the scoreboard and I mean you know and it was such a you know you're sitting there going oh my god you couldn't even be happy you lost all excitement because they were like oh okay yeah yeah I mean but oh but we hit four home runs in a row man that's a big deal dude we just pitched a no hitter and it of all places Yankee stadiums and I mean you're talking and I'm sitting here going man you are absolutely just lost interest in the game you talk about Yankee Stadium, and you think about Mariano Rivera, uh, who was synonymous with, with coming into Metallica's Inner Sandman. You, you had that uh, three years before Mo, didn't you? I don't know how how that all got started, or how long I got it before, or when I got it. I mean, you know, I, I think it was three years. I, I have no idea. I know that it sounded better when Mo played. When Mo, I mean, <laughs> I think they they. I mean, it, you know, it was the funniest thing is when I went to the Mets. I mean, you know how they all want to – now it was Sandman versus Sandman. And, I mean, believe me, yeah. if you, they talk about being a closer. Be a closer in New York with Mariano. Now you you better be good. You yeah, better no be kidding. good. And you better not – oh, my God. I mean, I, I mean, go out there and have a night where I punch out three on uh, nine or ten pitches. Oh, Mariano just punched out three on seven. 
What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did it. She, you could not do anything. And if you even tried to say, you can, you might as well just cut your legs off if you're just going to say anything. I mean, it was just, it was great. I just, I was like, man, it's, yep, he's the best. That's all I ever said. Yeah, yeah. he's the best. You know, we talked about the Hall of Fame credentials earlier. This is the guy that got 100% of the votes first time ever. Your second. To that guy all time in ERA and adjusted ERA. So an, another reason why you should be there. But you spend most of your career uh, in the National League, other than the 15 games you pitched with the Red Sox in 2009. Now, as this season is still uncertain and, and they're talking about tinkering with rules, we hear about a universal DH coming into play possibly uh, where pitchers will no longer be able to hit. Did you, as a National League primarily, uh, I know out of the bullpen, you don't get many at-bats, but did you enjoy that brand of game? Uh, or was the one year in 09 in Boston, what did you think about having the DH in that league? Well, I think with the DH, you, you've got a better hitter. There's no doubt you have a better hitter in the lineup. But I'll be honest with you, I, when I came into the game, I was going to face the best hitter in that on that team anyway. So as a closer, it, it didn't matter. I'm, I'm, you're going to get mm-hmm. – I mean, that didn't play a role in me. But, I mean – I actually liked having a guy face guys that had a track record. I mean, like coming in facing a David Ortiz is a lot easier to come in a face than the guy who doesn't have quite the numbers. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know what Dave can do. You know what these guys can do. I mean, uh, I, I don't need, I don't know if I faced Poppy or not when we played interleague and stuff like that. But I mean, what was the guy Vanderwall? Yeah, yeah, uh, John played for Colorado. Oh my God! Yeah, oh, he could rake it. I mean, people don't realize how good. And then you go, oh, he hit 150. Yeah, but that 150, I mean, he was crazy good. His is bats. I mean, he, and he would, he could put up some numbers at times. You know, um, I, I like facing the guys that had some establishment. But, you know, the guys that, you know, the numbers could be skewed a lot of ways when they didn't have the bats like John's, where Poppy's could be, he, you know, he's got 600 bats. So he has really, you, you have a history, a pattern. You can really, you know, and if you execute it, it's no big deal. Wags, this is the last question for me. So I texted Rex Jones and uh, Rex, longtime trainer with the Astros, and I'm sure you loved him as much as we've all enjoyed Rex. And I, I said, what do you got uh, with Billy? You got a story with Billy? So, well, the first thing I think about, about Billy is whenever I rehabbed Billy Wagner and he would play catch with you, he almost killed me during rehab. And I quote, he said, I was seriously concerned for my well-being because of the life you had on, on the baseball. When you, just playing catch with him. Is that the thing that Rex Jones thinks about you, is taking his head off uh, with the movement of, of your pitches? Did you realize that you weren't just throwing darts, that you had some late life on your pitches? I didn't know any of that stuff. My, you know no. what? I was so naive. The worst thing, when I, when I rehabbed from flexor tending and Tommy John, I remember going out the first days and them going, okay, you just kind of go through the motion. And I had no idea what that meant. I was like, oh, I'm going to just go normal then. So I was just kind of mm-hmm. just – and so I never had the issues <laughs> that half the people talk about nowadays. But I I remember the trainer would go, yeah, let, let's play a little catch about 45 feet. And I'm going, you're not going to want to play catch at 45 feet. <laughs> well, that's what the doctor says. I said, I'm going to promise you that you're going to be moving back to 60. And so I started playing catching, and they were they were they would you know, next thing you know they're back sixty six five, and they're like huh, okay. I'm like yeah. I, I, and so it's so funny. It. I just you know I could never play that. I could never. I mean I broke me and uh, uh, Doc Gooden played catch. He came over and played for us. Uh, yeah, when you guys and moved and we were playing on. right. We were playing, and he uh, me and him were just playing. I broke his finger playing catch. 
no way. And stuff. I got a picture. <laughs> oh yeah, it was funny. And I mean, I'm not sitting there. I just, I was never. It didn't take me long. I didn't, I couldn't play catch for 20 minutes. I mean, I'm out 200. Let's go. I'm good. Let's come on back in. We're done. I'm. I mean, I'm 20 throws and I'm done. I know what I got. So when I got when I got on there to play catch, it was. Let's go. <laughs> that was just the way I was. Well, Billy, we uh, we couldn't be more pleased to, to have this time that you shared with us. I know you've got a lot of do-it-yourself projects there around the farm, and uh, hopefully you'll be back to head coaching soon. And uh, we can't wait to, to have this ceremony for the 2020 Astros Hall of Fame whenever that's going to occur and see you again at the ballpark because um, you're such a part of Astros history, and we thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. Well, thank you, guys. It was a pleasure. Uh, going through the glory years a little bit and stuff. So uh, I appreciate y'all uh, giving me that moment. So thanks to Billy Wagner, Sparky, I had not had a chance to really converse with Wags at any point prior to this. So that was, to me, awesome. Like his stories were great. Can't wait to, to talk to him the next time. You know, it's just so genuine. Uh, you know, it just it almost hurts me a little bit that he hasn't gotten more recognition for the Hall of Fame votes. But I think, I think it's coming. You know, sometimes it's just about timing. And uh, I'm hoping for the best. Uh, I love what he told his his college roommate right when he was done playing. And when they were talking about uh, starting a foundation, he said, we may not be able to change the world, but we might be able to change Southwest Virginia. And I think he's doing that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a guy who's really proud of his roots, and he's back there doing great things. And uh, we'll see him when he's inducted into the Hall of Fame class of 2020, whenever that ceremony may be now. Uh, but he mentioned Doc Gooden, and the irony about that is, you know, Doc ended up throwing the first game as an Astro at Minute Maid Park, the exhibition game. And that? here we are, here we are, twenty years later, Sparky. Yeah. Twenty years of Minute Maid Park history. Yeah, you know, and there's been a lot of phenomenal moments in, in that ballpark. And Wagner was certainly uh, at the top of the list when they first opened. You know, and he pitched in the Astrodome, uh, but he was knocking down those last three outs of some really important games for this franchise. So. Um, a lot of great memories. Billy Wagner, I mean, being shorter in stature, but uh, somebody who the story is just unbelievable to think that he used to be right handed, uh, but ended up being probably a, a Hall of Fame pitcher as a lefty. Just it almost doesn't make sense. You scratch your head, but uh, we get to witness it. And all of his kids are right handed throwers. A couple of them hit lefty. Uh, so here we are. Um, it seems like at the end of every podcast, we say, we're really not certain what's going to happen. We're hoping for the best. But now I honestly feel uh, when this podcast airs, that sometime in the next week, we should get some direction, good, bad, or indifferent. I, I feel like we're finally getting to that finish line of making a decision. What do you think? Well, I mean, you know, as of this recording, when the owners and the players had discussions, it was two and a half hours worth of protocol to keep everybody safe. And I think that's the good thing. I think that uh, says right there that there's a little bit of calmness and, and peace to those discussions, and everybody's thinking clearly about what's most important. Yeah, and, and I heard from the commissioner, he was on with uh, Anderson Cooper and Dr. Goodday, uh -huh. and he basically said, uh, the one interesting thing I thought he said was because he was asked about if there are some players that are concerned uh, about returning with coronavirus uh, pandemic, what's the situation? And he said, I hope the vast, vast, vast majority of players uh, come back, but certainly we're not going to force somebody to come back if they feel unsafe. So uh, that's going to be interesting to see how that develops too. Yeah, you, know, you can't force people back. You know, this is this is a very serious matter. You know, and uh, if somebody doesn't feel like uh, they're they're up to it, and some people have 
underlying issues to, to begin with. I know David Dahl with the Colorado Rockies ha has issues. Uh, I think he had a spleen re removed, so he's more susceptible to, to a virus. So, you know, just whatever the case may be, uh, somebody might be in a different situation. And it doesn't just affect the players, but affects their family and, and everybody else involved too. So just like uh, it is in, in a lot of other workforces, but uh, you know, they're asking uh, a lot uh, from these players to get out there and, and do what they love. Uh, but, but hopefully we can get back there in a really safe manner and uh, get back to doing what we love too. Astros.com slash together. That's where you can go to pick up your mask for $15. T-shirts are also available. All the proceeds go to the Astros Foundation and the fight against the coronavirus. The shirts are $25. The masks are $15. Uh, Sparky, any final thoughts? I guess uh, a lot of them center around uh, Art Howe and some well wishes, huh? Yeah, that's it. You know, we got to keep Art and uh, his family uh, in our thoughts and prayers. And hopefully by the time this is this is aired that uh, he's on uh, the road to recovery. So that's where we are right now. You know, it gets personal when it's our friends and, and, and people we look up to. No doubt about it. Always fun uh, to have you on the podcast. We thank Billy Wagner. Uh, look forward to doing it again soon down the road and hopefully with some good news soon. Stay safe, TK. That's Steve Sparks. Thanks to all involved in putting together this Astropod. And we will see you on the next show soon. Whether it's at the ballpark or at home. That ball's smoked to center field. That is gone. A go-ahead two-run home run for Correa. Justin Verlander, another exclamation point in a Hall of Fame career. Big moments can happen. Anywhere. Anywhere. Thanks to all the frontline workers. Thanks to those sacrificing now. It's a Soon we can cheer together. Together. Stay safe, Houston.